What's up, Elton? Yo, Wilson. Want to come visit the new WeWork space in San Francisco? Yeah, man. I'm actually driving from Mountain View right now. There's parking, right? Uh, not really. Seriously? You know how much I hate parking. Wait, I actually heard of this really cool app called Lux. It's on-demand parking in Valley Services. That actually sounds really cool. Well, you're in luck because listeners of Fish Sauce Podcast get $20 of parking credits with the exclusive code FISHSAUCE. Awesome. I can't wait to use Lux. I'll be there soon. Hey guys, it's Wilson and Elton again, and we're here with Curtis Lee, CEO of Lux, an on-demand parking and valet services app meant to make parking easy for the average person. Stay tuned for this very insightful talk with Curtis. So Curtis, thank you very much for joining our podcast. We've seen that you've had a diverse experience, starting with financial services, being in investment banking, and then private equity and venture capital, and then going to business school, and then going to more product management roles before starting your own company. Um, do you mind sharing with our audience how you got to where you are, and what was the decision making that you've had kind of going through the different paths? You know, I think my path has grown in me for quite some time. So when I was a kid, being sort of a capitalist was the thing to do. You know, my role model there was my uncle. Uh, so my uncle was an investment banker for many years. He was an immigrant from Korea, wow. sort of worked his way in. And so for me to like look at him but, and sort of see his career track and all the stuff that he was doing was sort of an inspiring moment for me growing up. Curtis, where did you grow up? I grew up in L.A. Okay. So like on the suburb of L.A. Awesome. A town called La Cunada. Yeah, we're, we're from LA as well. Okay. Yeah. From Arcadia, Diamond Bar. Diamond Bar. Yeah. Yeah. Like down the street, especially yeah. Arcadia. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that was sort of the thing. You know, it was like the 80s, everyone was like capitalism. And I think that's probably inspired him, honestly, my uncle, to go into like investment banking. But for me to look at him as sort of a role model, even more so than my dad in many ways, was sort of the path that I wanted to take to the point that even in high school, like, be taking these like stockbroking classes, like interning at a bunch of these different places right off the bat in high school. And so like, you know, graduating from Cal, I, that's exactly what I did. At the same time around, you know, the turn of the century, you got the internet kind of starting to develop at the time. And so it was sort of a melding. I've always been sort of a tech geek. So going into technology and investment banking with the finance component with it was sort of just this awesome opportunity for so in terms of kind of the financial career, it seems like it, it was in, in your blood very early on, yeah. right? You, you had a role model and, and you really wanted to reach that investment banking goal. And then you did it. And then from the investment banking path, how did you decide to go into venture capital? That's yeah. something that a lot of people think about. Yeah. They want to be an operator or an investor. And you did that pretty, pretty early on. Yeah. I probably did it backwards, honestly. I'm like sort of a firm believer that when you're younger, you should build hard skills. And the problem with being a venture capitalist at such a young age is that you don't really build a hard skill, right? Your skill is, as a venture capitalist, to be successful, you have to see trends and things like that. But what is that hard skill? Like, you can't put that on your resume. I see trends, right? <laughs> People are just going to buy that stuff, right? It's about networking, all those things, which are super important in your career, but not when you're a 20-something-year-old. When you're a 20-something-year-old, you should be grinding and building out hard skills. The question was, how did I get from like investment banking to like venture capital? And for me, it was sort of the, the thing that people wanted to do. But for me, it was also just like I wanted to be more involved in companies. And, you know, investment banking is just a brutal culture. 
And then at what point did you realize that you wanted to go to school versus just kind of going directly into building products? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> there's a lot of great things about business school. Like you get to go travel, you meet a ton of people, you have a lot of fun, but it's one of my regrets in uh, my career. I think business school is a complete waste of time for people that have business backgrounds, which I had. I went in there, I'm like, shit, I actually know like most of the curriculum here. I ended up teaching or sort of tutoring a lot of the people that were like on my learning teams. Uh, complete waste of my time. And as you guys know, like the retention of like stuff you learn in school is pretty bad. So it's not like I learned much from it. I ended up actually not taking any finance courses. I ended up doing mostly like marketing and entrepreneurship. And as you guys know, like being an entrepreneur is like, you don't, you don't learn it. You just sort of do, just it. Sort of do it. And so again, like I think the most valuable asset anyone has is time. And those are like two valuable years of my life that were taken away. So if yeah. you didn't do it, what would you have done immediately after BC? Well, I think I would have gone into what I ended up doing right after business school, which was going to operations, right? So working as a product manager at one of these you know, up and coming companies. Now they're obviously stalwarts, but like at the time, you know, it's like they're still growing. So I think just like being able to learn from that environment uh, would have been so much more helpful than business school. Yeah. So many of our listeners are actually considering business school and they're thinking that. Don't it, do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, and some of them yeah. are from business backgrounds, right? So if, if not for the business courses and the class, right. what other value is there? Maybe, you know, I, it's probably like obviously tongue in cheek that I say don't do it. it. It really depends on your background, but it also depends on like where you want to take your career, right? So if you do want to be an entrepreneur, if you do want to do like product management, if you want to work at a company, a tech company, or any company for that matter, that's sort of in that tech space, I would say don't do it. Now, if you want to pursue finance, if you want to pursue, you know, like work for a CPG company where you sort of need the stamp of approval, like graduating from one of these top business schools, then by all means do it. Well, the network, is that valuable? It's not, it's not not valuable. But I think you should sort of be cautious around what network you want to build again. So going back to like my analogy, right? Like had I gone into a startup, into Google or Facebook at that time, like my network would have been so much better, like way better, right? Because these are people that have now done amazing things in their careers. And I've been fortunate to work at, you know, at Google during that time period a little bit after where I've got to know so many people that's helped me build Lux and other, you know, other things of mine, but I didn't get those connections from business school. Looking at kind of your, your product management experience and the operating experience that you've had, it seems like you've, you've been able to really see trends at the time you joined Google and yeah. then you joined Zynga at the right time. And then Groupon, I think you, you joined at yeah. the peak yeah. of Groupon. Tell us a little bit more about those experiences and how you decided to switch and, and find that peak, right? I think a lot of people are trying to find that rocket ship. I think the one talent I have, if you call it a talent, is just sort of being able to see what what's next. And it's not because I read a bunch of stuff or I, I actually sit there and I watch people. Think of it as sort of like anthropology. <laughs> like I sit literally in a park sometimes when I was at the Google campus, I'd look and see what people were like downloading, what they're playing. I remember when I was like taking the bus to Google every day, I'd like look and see sort of what people were doing on their way down to headquarters. And then also, like, it allowed me to sort of think about, um, you know, an hour each way, so two hours every single day to think about what's going on next in this world, right? So I start to think about, like, 
okay, people are doing this now, what's sort of the next trend or what's going to happen? How are things going to evolve? Do you mind sharing with our listeners what are your core values? I try to minimize regret all the time. And I think this is like a common thread that you hear from entrepreneurs, which is like sort of the biggest risk that you have is the one that you don't take. And that's exactly how I feel at all times, right? Like the reason why I ended up starting my own company, the reason why I ended up going from finance to uh, the tech route as an operator is really because around that time, around 2005, when I went to business school, my grandmother passed away, who I was really close with. And, you know, seeing her like pass away and you're like, man, she... She had all this like opportunity to do stuff and she didn't do it. You start to self-reflect on, on that, right? Like everyone is mortal, right? Time is not on your side. So if time's not on your side, you got to like take advantage of that as much as you can. So if you wanted to dream about, you know, as a kid, you wanted to dream about being whatever it is and you're not achieving that goal or at least getting to that goal, then what are you doing in life, right? So I use that as a way, like my moral compass of like trying to gut check myself at all times. I'd say the other thing that I always think about as a core value is sort of just like continuous learning. I am never like satisfied, which is sort of a bad thing sometimes. Like, but it also means that I'm like constantly trying to learn as much as possible. Why don't you share with us um, how you thought of Lux? Maybe a more generic question is like how do how do entrepreneurs even come up with ideas, and then how do they actually execute on these things, right? Yeah. So, the idea for Lux really happened because. I was working at Zynga, right? And I come home late at night from work and like circled around in Pack Heights where I lived at the time. There's absolutely no parking to be had, right? I was like circling around sometimes for an, over an hour, parking like two miles away. And so like I thought to myself, well, you know, it sucks because there's no parking lots in this area. At the same time, there's, if you go on Polk Street, there's like tons of parking lots that are there, but it's a little bit further away. Like if there's a way that I could just drop it off here and then have like, car be parked over there that'd be awesome so I just kept on like figuring out like sort of what is the problem and not thinking about what is the solution current solution how am I going to make the current solution better I didn't think about that right because if I did that I probably would have just done a more seamless way to park your car at one of those lots mm -hmm. right and that's I think if you look at all the first generation parking app companies they're all doing that right mm -hmm. I thought to myself like screw that like how would I want to build this type of service or how would I want to solve this type of problem? Like the user's best case scenario or something. Like it's like that. the first order type yeah. problems, right? Thinking about it that way, first order thinking. And so I thought about that. And so I started building this product around it, which was great. But then at the same time, I think one of the other key insights I had was that I live near a parking lot at the, the next place that I moved to. And I saw this parking lot that was always empty Monday through Friday, mm -hmm. or sorry, um, Monday through Friday on the and nights and then on the weekends, this was like packed to the gills, it was jammed Monday through Friday during work hours. It was just sitting there, it was like it was utilized only a fraction of the time. So they didn't really have a good way of sort of managing their their flow of traffic and their flow of customers. So I thought if there's a way to actually bridge that gap by having access to all these parking lots, but using people as a way to like distribute it and bring it back in. I thought there was a business to be had there. And did you always think of yourself as an entrepreneur kind of growing up and um, wanting to start your own business or this kind of came serendipitously as you were yeah. had more experience? I always wanted to start a business. You know, people always ask, are entrepreneurs made or are they sort of, are they sort of just uh, born that way, right? And 
you know, I, I'm sort of in the camp of like born that way. And because I use my own experiences, but I also have a ton of friends who are entrepreneurs and we're all sort of similar in the sense that we are very opportunistic. We see things and I think we love to hustle. And, you know, even when I was a little kid, I'd be like um, sending out like these little cards and stuff to our neighbors with like my name and like our phone number, our house number <laughs> for, for gardening services, yeah. right? Oh. Because my dad had his like lawnmower. I saw like a bunch of lawns that were like nasty and they weren't cut. And it's just like, put it on there. It's like, I would cut it for like $5 or something like that. But I think that's just sort of the like entrepreneurial spirit. I think a lot of entrepreneurs just have. And I think just their ability to like uh, tolerate risk. And push comes shove with a lot of people when they're put in situations where they won't be making money for a long time, where potentially it hurts, you know, the livelihood of their like family or their, their health or their sanity. They'll choose not to. Right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs just are willing to push through that. And how, how did you make a decision between having a very high paying job and then making that switch to kind of a, a startup? I think a rational person, which I think entrepreneurs oftentimes aren't, but a rational person would look at that and be like, okay, I'm losing X amount of dollars for a long period of time. That means this and this and this. I sort of just looked at it as like, I know I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. If I don't take this risk, then I will regret it like for my life. And, and when, it, when you sort of think about it that way, the decision becomes very binary. And so when I started, I was just like, this is the time to do it. The toughest part about being an entrepreneur is really that first part, right? Is like making that commitment and saying like, okay, I'm going, I'm going to just do it. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to start this thing. I'm, I don't necessarily know what my, how I'm going to make money off this. I don't know when this thing is going to pay out. Chances are it's not going to pay out, but I'm okay with that risk. And that's the toughest part. Well, switching gears a little bit, yeah. really interested in how does being Asian American actually uniquely affect decisions you've made or what is your ethnic background and how has yeah. that either helped or given you challenges? Yeah, so I'm Korean American. My parents both immigrated from South Korea and sort of a u more unique experience, I think, than a lot of people in the sense that like my parents actually came here from college. So they're, they're pretty well versed in like, you know, in English and sort of like it's an American way. They're very, obviously still very like Koreanized. Mm -hmm. I think what you guys said to me earlier is completely right. When you look around these companies and you, you work for these companies, you look at the executive staff, you seldom see anyone of Asian American descent, which is sort of a shame. And I start to think about why is that? I think part of it is like sort of, you know, one, we haven't been given as many opportunities. And I think over the course of the next generation, you're going to see many more of these. But is there like some form of like cultural thing that's like keeping us back? And I think, I think there's a couple of things here. Like one is I think we, I'd say, I hate to generalize here, but I think Asians in general tend to be much more conservative. It's sort of like, you know, you're always grown up to be like, respect your elders, make sure you don't speak out of line, follow the rules and work hard. And that's like sort of the payout that you'll have. But as you guys know, in the work environment, that doesn't always pan out, right? You could be best engineer, but if you have ideas and you're not willing to be vocal about it, you're not willing to stand on your own, have courage, then uh, you can't get ahead. And so, like, as I mentioned before, like, in your early parts of your career, it's all about building these, like, hard skills, which I think Asians do a great job of early on. Analysts. Analysts, right? Because that's yeah. what they do. They grind. They, they, they're 
great at their craft. But then as you guys have seen, and you're probably experiencing part of this now, is that like somewhere in between your, your early parts of your career and your later parts of your career, it becomes much less about the hard skills and much more about the soft skills, right? Can you get up and can you speak with like the entire company? Can you get them rallied? Can you get them rallied around your vision? Can you sell people? Are you good at selling? Are you good at motivating? Are you good at like politics in the, in the work environment? These are all things that I think because of our backgrounds makes it a lot harder for us to do. So and how were you raised? And, and do you feel like that was a learned trait that you got or it's something that you were? I'm still struggling with this, yeah. frankly. My board members were like, you know, Curtis, you're like smart. You know, you got like, you're a good leader, but this is uh, in regards to like going out and like fundraising or doing like PR stuff. They're like, you just need to be much more brash, right? You need to have much more like, you know, sort of be cocky, a little bit like have a sense of just like this facade of like... Why is that? Where's the benefit in being a little bit more? I think because they they look at sort of, you know, some of the entrepreneurs that are out there and the ones that they sort of view as these like, and it's, I don't think it's a right thing, but they sort of view these like people as these like you know, cult of personality, like visionaries, visionaries, right? Because they're like loud and brash. They say very controversial things sometimes, right? They say, oh, that guy's a leader, right? Because he has all these things, these like traits and qualities about him. I've heard this from one uh, from one investor, not an our investor, but another one. They're like, hey, you should stand up there and like get on the whiteboard and wave your hands and move around. Because <laughs> like, you know, that's what like, you know, that's what Travis Kalanick did. Uber. <laughs> this is like what you have to do, you know? And did you do a little bit of that or a lot of that or somewhere in between? You know, I think you have to be genuine, right? It's not to say that you, you can't improve on your things, but like, you know, one of my core values, again, is sort of like doubling down on your own strengths versus trying to fix your weaknesses. People spend too much time like focusing on their weaknesses and you'll never be like, <laughs> if you're not like a great public speaker, if you're not a great engineer, like you devote all these hours until you probably become a mediocre one or a decent one, you're not going to be like the best. So you'd rather just focus on the things that you do kick-ass job of and make that even better right so you know when i say i still struggle with some of these things i do because like you know, part of me is like yeah you know i probably could be a little bit more of that type of person i probably could do a little bit more of these things at the same time it's like i am who i am and i'm much better at a handful of other things than those guys Thanks, Curtis, for sharing all your insights. I know personally, I hate parking. Um, I don't know about you, Elson. I hate parking too. Yeah, my parents hate parking when they visit SF, so if you also hate parking, check out Lux. They're growing very fast. They're in San Francisco, LA, Chicago, Seattle, Austin, New York, and expanding extremely fast, so check them out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fish Sauce Podcast. Hopefully, you're one step closer to discovering your secret sauce. And if you like what you heard, like our Facebook page, Fish Sauce Podcast, and follow us on Twitter at Fish Sauce Pod. Thanks again for joining in and hope you enjoyed the show.